When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket with me, Simon Hughes. And me, Simon Mann. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes, absolutely. Season's greetings to you all, and we'll finish with some appropriate seasonal music at the end of this podcast, as we always do every year. Do you reckon this is, I think this is the seventh year that we've uh, probably done a Christmas or pre-Christmas podcast. We always tend to look back at England's year at this time of year, and we're going to do that again today. It's been a been a bit of a funny year, and I suppose it's ended with a, a, the sort of a damp squib with the final T20, meaning that England have sacrificed both the ODI and the T20 series in the West Indies. Shall we have a look at the tail of the year, just in, in pure stats terms? How many games England have played? How many they've won? How many they've lost? I'll kick it off in T20s. England have won four and lost eight this year. So the defending T20 uh, world champions have not had a a great year. They've only won four of their 12 T20 matches. What about one-day internationals? One-day internationals played 24, but of course because of that uh, disappointing or in fact appalling World Cup performance, they've lost more than they've won. Won 11, lost 12, no result won. So, you know, a less than 50% record in... ODIs, which is a, a pale shadow of, of how they were performing three, four years ago when, of course, they won the World Cup in 2019. Uh, it's been a, a disappointing white ball year generally, hasn't it? It has. Test matches, England have won four matches. Don't forget the Ireland Test victory. They have lost three. And they haven't played that much Test cricket this year. I mean, normally you talk about playing, you know, 15 matches a year. Next year, they're going to play 17 matches. They've only played eight Test matches this year. I don't think that's particularly, I don't think it's necessarily a trend. It's just the way the the, the calendar has worked out this year with the World Cup sort of taking uh, precedence. Of course, it should have been one extra victory and one fewer loss because they had that 
A ridiculous defeat. Absolutely ridiculous defeat, which I, I could reprise if you want, Yoz, because it made me very annoyed at the time, where they enforced the follow-on and lost. And if they batted again, they'd have won the game in a canter probably by about 200 runs. But... I mean, test cricket this year for England has been absolutely fine, hasn't it? And we had a thrilling Ashes series. But white ball cricket, where England, well, were double world champions going into the year, really disappointing time of it. What did you make of the thought the back end of the West Indies T20 series? It is worth noting that West Indies have won under Rodman Powell this year their last three T20 series, and they have beaten South Africa away, they've beaten India at home. And they've beaten England at home. I mean, those are three good scalps. And they've got some talent in that team. So it's not like, oh, you know, West Indies are they're sort of bottom of the pile. They didn't qualify for the World Cup. In T20, they've got something about them. They have. I think they're a really dangerous side. I still have mixed feelings about their bowling. But apart from Australia and India, there really aren't too many other good bowling attacks around. I suppose South Africa, you'd say, as well. But there aren't too many good bowling attacks around. I mean, certainly Weston is batting, you know, it's absolutely packed with power and, and talent and skill. It's not just about the big hitting. Uh, Shea Hope, you know, absolutely brilliant one-day player who probably should be in, uh, you know, a World eleven for, for T20s or, or certainly for 50-over cricket. You know, he's such an adaptable player. He's the, the West Indies Joe Root and he's got power to, to add to that as well because he, he finished that game yesterday with a big slice six over cover and he's got such a range of ability and then they've got all those really muscular batters down the order and at the top of the order as well so I think you know really dangerous side and in a way no target will be easy to set them because you feel they they've just got that that ability to to muscle the ball over the ropes from any situation and they can do it right down to Jason Holder at number nine so if, if you allow West Indies to bat second they can chase pretty much anything. Bowling-wise, the one thing they've added, the ingredient they've added, is two good spinners. Uh, two good left-arm spinners, which is something England really lack, actually. I, I feel that's one thing England could could do with, is a left-arm a left -arm spinner alternative to the excellence of Adil Rashid. And knowing Ali obviously comes in with his occasional off-spin as well. I'm, I, I'm kind of not convinced about Moen's future really, in international cricket. I just don't think he contributes enough, really. I know he's a lovely character and a, a stabilising sort of influence and a very kind of philosophical uh, personality, but I don't know. I just don't feel he has enough impact with bat or ball to, to really uh, to see him kind of having a, a big role going forwards. So West Indies, it, you know, their, their spin and their batting, excellent. It's just their seam bowling. Same with England. It's just not convincing. And... You feel like most of their bowlers can go around the park. Ray Ahmed, you, you, you didn't mention there as one of England's uh, spin options. I mean, he's been pushed forward in this series, hasn't he? I mean, he's, he's played a you know a big part in it. Hasn't always been a successful. Great learning opportunity for for him, really. You know, a, a, a young wrist spinner. I'm talking about a leg spinner, actually. He's sort of a googly bowler, isn't he? Really, and you're working more on his his leg spin. You know, tough baptism to go out there and play in West Indies against some of the, the power hitting. I mean, incredible hitting. The first series, and this was this was sort of not exactly halfway through the fourth game, but you know, well into the fourth game, more sixes struck in the bilateral series in, in this series than any other. You know, 100, over 100 sixes. And by the end, it was about 120 sixes. So, you know, it was a real challenge for the bowlers. 
you you talked about you feel like no total is uh, sort of unobtainable for West Indies. Even bizarrely, I was watching that game the the other night when England made two hundred and sixty odd, and I thought, do you know they might get these at one point? The way they were going at it, so hard. I mean, the problem was they were losing wickets, but you know the the, the power, the shot making, the flatness of the pitch, the shortness of the boundaries, the ball was flying everywhere. It was an extraordinary game, and the game. Last night was a complete contrast. Same ground, same very pitch. different same surface. pitch, actually, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, but but a very different pitch, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, same, same twenty-two yards, but obviously behaved mm. totally differently. Yeah, uh, the, the, obviously to, when you get two hundred and sixty-seven <laughs> in a T twenty, you're going to win, aren't you? I, I mean, you, you've yeah. got to win that. But well, you should do. You should do. <laughs> I, I mean, as you say, Weston's got one hundred and ninety-two all out in fifteen overs. So they, I think they were eighty-seven after the six-over power play. So it just shows the de- the danger that they pose, especially in their own conditions, where you know they know the shortness of the boundaries and that power can really come to come to the fore on bigger ground somewhere like Australia where they'll be playing soon they might come unstuck because you know it is harder to clear some of those bigger boundaries and the bouncer can be a a useful weapon because batters get top edges and get caught in Australia whereas in other ground in other countries like the West Indies like India the top edges just fly for six so It'll be an interesting experience, but of course, the, the the T20 World Cup is in the West Indies and a bit in the US. Did you see that story, by the way? The uh, the India Pakistan match for the World T20 to be played in a a pop up stadium in New York. That'll be something, mm. won't it? Yeah, well, I think we 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 discussed this didn't we a couple of weeks ago about the potential venues for the the T20 World Cup where India will play their games and what time they will play their games and we wondered whether you know we had that balance between you know playing early in the morning but great for the audience back in India I mean presumably what they they're trying to get that Venn diagram right aren't they the massive audience back in India and Pakistan but also big attendance at the game by doing something very different i.e. playing it in New York and people will go along at presumably what 10 it'll start at something like 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that I haven't worked out the exact uh, time difference but yeah so that they that you know it's, it's been carefully planned that it's not you know they have not not just thrown this together so that's going to be there so India and Pakistan are going to be in one group as we speak they said the fixes were coming out actually so it may well be that they'll come out later today so we're recording this early on Friday morning it may well be that the you know the full fixes come out later today possibly even as by the time we finish this uh, podcast but India and Pakistan in one group of five England Australia in another group of five, and basically 20 teams are qualified. There are four groups of five. The top two from each of those groups go through to a, a Super 8, two groups of four, then into a semi-finals. Got that, yours? All, all, well, all nice a, and it's clear? It's a better format than the World Cup, I feel. I, I know that everybody likes the World Cup because everybody plays everybody, but it goes on far too long. And at least with four groups of five, you feel, and it's T20, you feel it that it'll be a, a condensed tournament and there's more knockout games, I suppose, or no, more games with some jeopardy if you've got the, the Super 8 thing. Um, and I, I think it's just great having so many countries playing as well, you know, having 20 countries playing in a, a World Cup. That's what it should be. Uh, and, and the fact they're going to keep it to, I don't know, three weeks or something or just over, it's, that's, that, that does sort of whet the appetite a bit more than a seven-week World Cup in, in India, not not that you know it wasn't fun. It, it was enjoyable and and fascinating, but it did feel too long, really. So um, England finally losing that T20 in 
Trinidad, the fifth match of the series, to give West Indies a 3-2 victory. It was a bit of a funny game, actually, wasn't it? I mean, after the dramas of Harry Brook, incredible 31 off seven, and Phil Salt's 100 to win the third game after the first two losses, and then to play uh, an immense innings in that fourth game and get the 267, Phil Salt again to the four, another 100 for him. Amazing performance he, he, he's had, amazing series he's had. Um, and then yesterday, a sort of a funny kind of scrappy sort of game on a patchy pitch. Um, England just never really, their innings never really fired. Uh, Joss Butler out kind of playing a ramp shot, a bit of a tame end to him. I mean, he, he must absolutely be drooling at the idea of getting home and, and not playing any cricket for a few weeks. Um, and then the, the innings after that just never really got, got any momentum, did it? Everybody sort of got to 20 and 20-ish and then bailed out. I thought maybe this was going to be the day that Liam Livingston delivered, but after a couple of absolutely barnstorming sixes, he again, you know, miscued and he was out. Uh, and it just the, the, the innings just sort of fizzled out, really. 132 never felt like it was going to be enough. No, well, you're right about it fizzling out because in the last 5.4 overs available, England scored 22 runs and lost six wickets. And if they if they could go back and just wind the clock back a bit and say, look, in those last 5.4 overs, could we score 40 runs with a bit more care? They probably would have won the game ultimately. As you say, it was a scrappy pitch. You know, you probably the thing is when you play a game on the same surface a couple of days before and you score 267 you're probably thinking well you know there's, there's probably going to be 200 on this surface or something like that isn't there high you know 180s 190s but you know it was so different that you it's probably quite hard to adapt and that's what I mean, Josh Butler said that afterwards didn't he so we, we didn't adapt quickly enough we didn't work it out quickly enough and yeah I think another 15-20 runs might well have won them a game of course West Indies would have chased it a bit differently and they they got a bit stuck as well definitely so we we got to a situation where it was nine needed off the last over and suddenly England you know were in it weren't they and, you know if you have a good last over and what was that? What was that over you were defending in the ten? Oh, I don't need ten. No, was you it? Want, yeah. Don't want to go back to that again. I mean, come no, on. no, but please right, so move just, on. For com- just for comparison, yours. What were you trying to defend? You were right. trying to defend ten. ten. Yeah. yeah, and you expected to defend it, weren't you? In those days, ten was like in, quite in, a lot in, to have. In fact, that was a, a Nat West final. Now you have got me going, haven't you? That was a Nat <laughs> not, West not final. Not too long, yours. Not well, too long. It's it, Christmas. No, I wasn't. Gonna, I wasn't going to say. All I was going to say is it was a fifty-five over match. Or it might have been 60. I think it was 60, actually a 60 over match. Yeah. It was a 60 over match. And there was no other over that conceded 10 in the whole game, mm. yeah. uh, which shows I mean, the kind of cricket that we used to play, poking around for, for most of the innings and you know unleashing a little bit at the end. I, I was disappointed, just going back to England's innings, I was a bit disappointed by Sam Curran, actually, who, you know, I, as I was saying, watching him in the World Cup, you know, his skill at hitting the ball over the leg side is almost second to none he's got this incredible timing and range of shots if the ball is on the stumps or on the leg side but he seems so limited if bowlers bowl outside off stump and they just concentrate he was the guy that they needed England needed to get I don't know 25 off the last two couple of overs and he just couldn't ever get going because they bowled outside off stump to him short of a length and he kept trying to slog it over long on or even over long off, and just never kind of getting hold of the ball. I accept the pitch wasn't the easiest, but he just feel it feels to me he's very he's a bit too one dimensional. He's very very good over the leg side, but as soon as people bowl back of a length 
sort of across him towards the offside, a little bit wide, he seems uh, has has it. He doesn't seem to be able to hit that sort of ball. And by now, the amount of cricket he's played, you'd have thought he'd worked out a way of I don't know, getting across his stumps or working on his offside shots a bit more. So, bit bit disappointing for me. It's been a a, a slightly humbling few months for him, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, it, you know, struggled in the World Cup, but eventually sort of left out of the team. 12 from 15 last night. He was last man out in the 20th over, England 132 all out. Yeah, he's had some pummelings with the ball, hasn't he? You know, occasional successes uh, with the bat. I, we've, we've talked about him a little bit on this podcast. It's it's about sort of what sort of cricketer he is, you know, in the future, isn't it? I mean, he's still only 25. Uh, that, you know, that's the remarkable thing. Uh, England coach Matthew Mott saying that you know, this is pretty much the world T20 team stroke squad that we're going to employ but there are two players that are on the that we're thinking about bringing in and they are the, the big guns if you like uh, Ben Stokes and Joffre Archer if they can get Joffre Archer fit I wonder whether you know Phil Stott Salt's success I wonder whether that leaves someone like Johnny Bairstow in the future in England's T20 team there aren't that many T20 matches for England to play uh, before uh, the World Cup. They've got that five-match series against Pakistan in May in England as a preparation for the, the World Cup. But of course, you know, the, the thing that's going to dominate in the new year is going to be England's test series against India and then into the IPL. And so, there, you know, there isn't that much time actually to, you know, play much more T20 cricket before the T20 World Cup gets underway in June. It's one of those strange uh, situations, I'm sure you're across it, where uh, the players are going to break into the English summer and go abroad to play. I, I can't remember that happening before. You, you don't often get tournaments uh, at that time of the year, right in the middle of the English summer, but that's the, the way of it th- this year. And so there's going to be no international cricket in England in June. There is going to be in May and there is going to be in July, but there's going to be nothing in June because the players will be away playing in the T20 uh, World Cup. So the, you know, there is the prospect of, of Ben Stokes coming back in once yeah. he gets f- fully fit. And there's the prospect if... Again, if he can get himself fit, of, of Joffre Archer being there as well. I mean, that if he were fit and firing, that would be a huge boost for England. It would, it would. I, I mean, Bairstow must be on the fringe of that team as well. Will Jacks has been playing at number three uh, in these five matches. Hasn't been entirely convincing. They haven't bowled him either, interestingly. I, I found it strange, actually, last night that uh, England didn't bowl either Will Jacks or Liam Livingstone. On a pitch which was turning, and the West Indies spinners took a lot of wickets. Um, Livingston, who's been a sort of pretty much a consistent fallback uh, for Joss Butler during most of these one-day games, didn't get a bowl. And Will Jacks, I thought, might have offered something something slightly different instead of going to Sam Curran, who who bowled one over for eleven uh, at a fairly crucial time. So, uh, I mean, Will Jacks. You feel he's the right sort of cricketer for England's tweet T20s, but he, d- he didn't wasn't that convincing at number three. And Bearstow must fancy his chances, and you you'd be uh, you know foolish to overlook him. Really, a guy of that ability. Yeah, I suppose it, it depends where. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, he's obviously on firing and on form. Yeah, it can be devastating. I suppose it depends where Stokes fits back into the side. I suppose it depends where that you know Ben Stokes can bowl. If you know if they if they require him to do so, I've been uh, looking at his rehabbing actually, mm-hmm. uh, which is useful uh, information because I I may have to have a knee you know operation at some point, and 
actually the, the intensity of his rehab is impressive. He's been po- posting on Instagram the various exercises he's been doing. I reckon he, he could end up with his knee stronger than, than it was at the start before he, he had any damage to it. He's going to be like a bionic man in the end. Well, he, he almost is anyway, isn't he? So, uh, yeah, I suppose he'll fit in at number four and England will juggle the other batsmen around him. Harry Brooks been pretty impressive. That Well, he, he delivered in that uh, run chase anyway, 31 off seven balls. What an amazing innings that was. Uh, but I think Salt and Butler certainly at the top of the order look look I, a lot like a, a likely pair for for that tournament anyway. Mm. One thing that was just interesting, and we'll we'll move on in a second from from England, is the fact that in those last couple of games that Josh Butler didn't keep wicket, I and mean, he doesn't in the IPL. Uh, Phil Salt kept wicket in the last a couple of games. Uh, you know, whether Butler just wants a different perspective on the match. I mean, it's, it, I, always... I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, we have been saying this. It's really difficult. Intense, isn't batting. it? It's intense. Uh, yeah, and it's and and actually, also, I suppose another little uh, issue is with these uh, with the stop clock on now, and you have to bowl your over mm. uh, within sixty seconds of the free previous over ending. With a, a keeper having to run up and down the pitch to the other end to speak to the bowler all the time, there are times when I mean normally that happens more in the middle of an over than at the beginning but you know it, it's having an interaction with a bowler in T20 having a captain who's close by to the bowler I think is really important something Owen Morgan really uh, valued when he was captain mostly fielding an extra cover or mid wicket and Butler was doing the same took actually a couple of good catches as well didn't he and and I, I think that's much more sensible plus the fact the concentration required to keep and captain as well as being the opening batsman, is just a bit too much for someone, really. So I think very sensible. But Butler's a very good fielder. I, 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 Salt looks a perfectly acceptable keeper. It seems to work well. Mm. I, th- I thought at times Salt had a... There was one game he had a very tricky time. I think it was the fourth game, wasn't it? There was a few flying past him. Uh, anyway, that was an interesting tactical change that England made, or ex- you know, experiment England uh, went with in, in the back end of, of that series. You're talking about running up and down the pitch there, uh, Yoz. I suppose we should deal with uh, sort of bizarre, one of the sort of bizarre things that's that's happened in the last uh, couple of days and uh, get your uh, views on it. The, the Tom Curran incident, which has caused you know, a lot of conversation. It's funny, isn't it, how something happens in the in the game of cricket that gets people in, involved. I mean, it, you know, it could be a, a run out backing up. It could be a timed out, whatever. Tom Curran, those of you who haven't come across this, well, it's all over social media. Tom Curran banned from the Big Bash for four matches for something that happened before a game where he was practicing his run-up and he was told not to do it uh, on the on the sort of actual running into the actual uh, pitch that was going to be used for the match uh, that the Sydney Sixers were playing in. And th- th- this footage was picked up by, the, by Channel 7, who were covering the game. And he has been banned for four matches for intimidating the umpire. And there's one where he runs in, he was told not to run in, goes to the other end. The umpire stands in the crease and Tom Cohen runs towards him and then just sort of sidesteps him like a rugby fly half at the, at the very last minute where, you know, he's, he's really close to him. Anyway, it's, it's there. What, what, what did he make of it? And he got a four-match ban. And he, but the Sydney Sixers are, are right behind him and they, he's going to appeal it. Um, that they didn't say they were going to appeal before the footage uh, came out. Uh, what did you think? Well, I thought it was a bit confrontational of Tom Curran, what he did. I think it's a confusing rule because uh, it, it seems as if the, the, the whole kind of attitude to this 
situation has changed a number of times. Uh, I I remember playing cricket and we weren't allowed to do any run, practice run-ups at all. Uh, any even sort of starting your run-up during a game, you would you know no no the umpire no you can't you know you can't do that and. Uh, you certainly weren't allowed, you weren't even allowed in those days to run up on a side pitch uh, and practice you, you turn up to a game you'd obviously have nets um and, and practice before the game usually on the net ground you know the second ground or whatever and then when it was the match you, you had no chance to practice your run up at all on a side pitch or uh, on the main pitch you just couldn't do it you weren't allowed anything I remember uh, covering a test match in the early 2000s, England-Pakistan, and seeing for the first time Steve Harmison run up on a side pitch five minutes before the start of an innings, bowling a ball to a coach on the on a side pitch, close to the main match pitch. And I'd never seen anyone allowed to do that before, but apparently you were allowed to do that. And Obviously now you see in between innings or before a start of a test match day, you see all the team's bowlers bowling on side pitches um, for sort of half an hour. Um, and, and it's just a regulation thing. Everybody practices their, their bowling on a side pitch, not, of course, on the main pitch. And then you'll see them walking up and down the main pitch to have a look at it. And I remember actually Matthew Hayden often used to take his shoes off and walk on with his socks on the, the, the Ashes pitch because he sort of treated it like, uh, you know, a very kind of precious ornament almost. He didn't want to damage it, so he walked around on his socks. Or maybe it was a, a religious thing or something, I don't know. But anyway, it, you know, but he walked up and down on the pitch. And, you know, we would all be poking and pushing the pitch and the odd bowler would surreptitiously walk on it with his studs to see if his studs sunk in at all into the pitch and things so you can get a sense of the texture of it. Anyway, that has all been outlawed now. You can't do any of that. And I realised only at the World Cup this year when uh, at Mumbai, England, South Africa, I went up uh, out before play to have a look at the pitch oh, about 45 minutes before the start of play. I stood on the pitch just at the side, prodded it with my thumb to see if I could tell how hard it was, if there was a bit of tackiness there. And uh, the umpire, uh, who was out there just sort of watching everyone and you know getting ready for the day, Hassan Raza, he said, hey, you're not allowed to do that. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, no, only captain and coach allowed on the pitch before play. I said, really? I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realise. No, no, you're not allowed. Nobody else is allowed to prod the pitch before play. And um, you see shadow batting now goes on behind the wickets. In the olden days, not that long ago, probably last year, the year before, you quite often see a batter standing in the crease, practising his batting before play, imagining you know standing out in the middle. But now they do it behind the stumps. So there's obviously been a change of regulation to stop people walking about on the pitch before play, apart from the captain and coach. And uh, unfortunately, whether Tom Curran knew that or not, he transgressed. So he was in the wrong. Yeah, I mean, the, I, the thing that, that, that gave it away for me, to me it looked like a bit of a red miss situation because he, he did have one practice run up to the stumps and the umpire um, said, look, no, you can't do that. So Tom Curran went to the other end and and the and the um, you know Marty's run out of the other end and then just ran in with the umpire standing in the crease. I mean, it it it, it wasn't a good look, was it? From no. from Tom Curran. No. So it, it I have to say it does surprise me that the the Sixers are appealing it. It may well be they revised that. Um, yeah, they, I mean they, it, it they, does surprise me. I, I think that I suppose really what we're saying in a way is 
these things have sort of often umpires have often turned a blind eye to a bowler. Yeah. I mean, Broad, Stuart, I would stand out in the middle, you know, three or four years ago uh, before players Stuart Broad would practice his run up on the normal uh, from his normal, you know, they'd measure it out with a tape measure and then he'd do a few, he'd say, keep it out of the way, everybody. He was looking at the pitch because there's always about 10,000 people looking at the pitch before play and Broad would just go, watch out, guys, I'm just coming. And he'd do his practice run up and just jog in, not actually full speed, but just jog in to feel the contours of the ground and land at the crease and then just jog off, uh, you know, perhaps just slightly follow through, but keeping off the main bit of the pitch and then off he'd go and do it the same the other end. I've seen bowlers do that year after year. And umpires probably just turned a blind eye to it. I haven't seen it enforced quite as strictly as I had with that Tom Curran one, where the umpire said, hey, you're not allowed to do that, then stood in his way when he tried to do it from the other end. And he said, look, you can run up down the side here. You can run in uh, on a side pitch, but you can't run in on the main pitch. I mean, it's a, it's a bit petty, but I suppose the reason they do it is... Um, Actually, you can get a bit of useful information by running up on the, the main pitch and following through in your normal sort of follow through line, which means you go down the pitch. You can get a bit of information about the pitch. You can feel when you jog through whether your studs are standing proud on top of the surface or slightly sinking in. You can get a bit of a sense of whether it's tacky or not, um, uh, you know, the, the kind of substance of the surface. So... I can sort of see it, it can be quite a sly way of bowlers getting some useful information about the pitch to the team. So maybe that's the reason they're, they're not allowed to do it anymore. Hmm. Well, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great look. Um, I mean, there are, I haven't seen that many people defending uh, Tom Curran's actions. I mean, even if even if you consider it to be uh, petty from the umpire, he's sort of applying the, the, the laws of the game. You still have to abide by what the the umpire says. <laughs> it gives the fourth umpire something to do as well, because I mean, fourth umpires, God, no, they they all admit it's a bit of a holiday being a fourth umpire, and that's one job is to stand out there in the middle before play and check that you know everything's done properly, and in between innings check the rollings last for seven minutes and all that. So it's 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 a bit of jobs worthiness, but I sort yeah. of can see the the logic of it in a way as well. Yeah, I, I, I think the other thing as well is, is it a four-game ban? I and mean, it's that's quite a big ban because of the fact that the Big Bash this year has been reduced in, in, in size from 14 games to 10 games. So if you miss four games, you're almost missing half the tournament. So it's, it's almost like a half the tournament ban. So I suppose it may be that that's why the Sixers are appealing it. They think the ban is, you know, OK, it's a fair cop. He did, there was some intimidation, inverted commas, going on. Uh, but actually... You know, probably they're trying to—I don't know. Perhaps they're trying to reduce the ban. That's that's the only thing I can think because I I can't see how you would say that it was not a you know an unsavoury incident. NordVPN is the fastest virtual private network out there. One click and your online privacy is protected, and it's an open sesame to a new world of content and opportunity. So when I was at the Cricket World Cup in India, getting thoroughly depressed covering England, I used NordVPN to watch England at the Rugby World Cup in France. Until, of course, England got knocked out of that as well. And Simon, I think you use it a bit when you're abroad, don't you? I, I use it all, all the time, yeah. You get your VPN on because you're trying to run your whole life, don't you? You've got email accounts, you've got banking to do. You want to protect all that data. So, yeah, whenever I'm abroad, the VPN goes on. NordVPN goes on. And, of course, you can also switch your virtual location 
to access cheaper flights, hotels or other deals wherever you are in the world. All on the Nord VPN app, which costs the same per month as a cup of tea or a cafe latte. To grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash AIC. Our code will also give you four additional months for free on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So visit nordvpn.com slash AIC to find out more and open the door to a galaxy of content. And after the break, we're going to talk Australia and Pakistan and IPL contracts worth 2.5 million. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, Yoz, what was the most... You don't, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. What was the most... You earned from a year of playing cricket. I would say thirty thousand. Thirty thousand. Thirty thousand. And and actually, uh, after my first year, I won an award for player of the month or something, and it was four hundred quid. And I tell you, I mean, four hundred quid. You just thought, wow, four hundred quid. I mean, I was still a student at the time, so mm. yeah, we are talking a, about the fourteenth century here. We course. are talking about yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and it, you, I could probably buy a car for that. Uh, so, yeah, not much anyway is the answer to you. Mm. Well, you want to be a cricketer now, wouldn't you? Would you want? It, would you? Would you want it to be in that IPL auction the other day? Yeah, absolutely. Mind you, the big problem you have: you weren't an Australian pace bowler; you were yeah. an English pace but bowler. I, I, what I really like about the story that you know Pat Cummins and, and Mitchell Stark and Spencer Johnson have all gone for over a million, and in the case of Stark and Cummins, over two million, is that. It's rewarding bowlers at last, you know, for all their hard work and labour and ingenuity and persistence. And being, Cummins, pre- being prepared to be thrashed around the ground. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and philosophical, <laughs> philosophicalness, I suppose, as well. Philosophicality, because, you know, it, it, it mentally tormenting being smashed everywhere. You, you put, you know, you strain every sinew to pummel it down at, 90 miles an hour and it goes off the bat at even quicker uh, 112 meters and um, f- fetch that mate kind of thing and you know and also the limitations on bowlers in short format cricket are so massive you know you can't bowl anywhere you've got to bowl at the middle of the bat basically and so it is reward for that and that a job which is you know, a very very hard one it's a tough job it's a thankless task really being a bowler it wrecks your body 
And, you know, if you're being pummeled for 12 and over, it wrecks your mind as well. So uh, at least they've got some money in the bank now, some of these guys. Mm. Yeah, and it probably helps if you win a World Cup as well. It, 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 it's in that Indian spotlight, isn't it? That I mean, in, in a way, I'm sure not all franchises do it and, and not all members of the bidding teams within the franchises are sort of on message with this. But it, there, there is that temptation if you have a good World Cup, 50 over World Cup, whatever, you have a good time against India, you, you there is there do seem to be some rewards on offer, but actually the, the probably the cannier pickers, if you like, are the ones that are really ruthless in the way they approach the auction and say, no, we don't want that. We want this. This is going to serve us much better, you know, come May time when we got a, a crucial knockout match in in the IPL. I don't see Daryl Mitchell got you know had a great World Cup. He had you know he's got a decent contract as well. So you know, there there is there does seem to be some recompense for for doing well in the Indian spotlight. Is that necessarily the way to go for for the IPL? Not not necessarily actually. I I think that you probably want to be absolutely ruthless in some of the picks you come up with. I saw like Spencer Johnson. At, yeah, he suddenly. I think those are the stories that's already catch the eye in, in a way because this guy's only played twenty one T twenties. He's had a back injury and he barely played a year ago, and suddenly sort of burst onto the scene. Plays for the Brisbane Heat. He played, you know, in the, in the hundred. Uh, he had a very eye catching performance, and you know, there he goes, a million dollar contract. On you go, son. I suppose it shows really that the dearth of of people who you can rely on. And I'm not saying necessarily Spencer Johnson, but people like Cummins and Stark, you know you can rely on to bowl really well in T20, in, in IPL cricket. They're not going to be overawed by the atmosphere or the, the batters that they're bowling at. Uh, they've got a proven track record. They've actually both, in the case of Cummins and, and Stark, they've sort of saved themselves up for a while. They haven't played in the IPL for, for a while. In Stark's case, since 2015, he's put his, his career and his family first uh, and money second. Um, but, you know, he couldn't sort of turn this one down and, uh, you know, good luck to him. But it does show that there isn't that many other options that teams have got to go to. There's no Archer. Um, obviously, Boomer's already with the Mumbai Indians. and There are very few guys, quick bowlers, that you can really trust uh, towards the end of an innings. And especially how the way Cummings approached that final World Cup match, the way that Australia bowled there was so clever. And I'm, I'm sure that would have persuaded a lot of franchises that, that they're worth investing in. Of course, <laughs> you know, if Cummins plays every match for Sunrisers, that's 14 games plus, you know, potentially the, 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 the knockouts, he's going to be earning about 7,000 a ball. So it's not a bad rate, is it? No, you used to get 30,000 a year and he's getting 7,000 a ball. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, it, it, I mean, good luck to them. You know, it's... I, I love Pat Cummins. I think he's a fantastic uh, individual, great leader. What a man. Yeah. Well, uh, he and he deserves it. And we're coming to the end of the year. We've had a look back at England's year. It's been Australia's year, hasn't it, in in, in international terms and sort of topped off by some, some of the those IPL rewards for their players. I mean, we've had Nathan Lyon, 500 test wickets. They retained the Ashes. They won the World Test Championship. They won the World Cup. It, it doesn't get much better than that. It, it really has been a fantastic year for Australian cricket. And they just hammered Pakistan as well in the, in the first test match. That was fairly predictable. I was talking to, to uh, Atif Nawaz <clears throat> before the series and he was saying he gave Pakistan about a 23% chance of something like that of, of winning the series in Australia. And I said, really? Really, Atif? I'd give them five. And actually, uh, we were talking about this on air, 
during our big bash coverage, I said I'd give them five. But actually, if I was really being honest, I would have put that down as a big fat zero. Uh, you know, it's so difficult to go to Australia and win. I mean, if Pakistan turn it around, I mean, absolutely miraculous. India have done it, of course. But I'm not sure this Pakistan side are, are good enough to do it against a pretty solid Australian team in their own conditions. You know, Mark Waugh said uh, that Australia are going to win the series 4-0, <laughs> not realising there's only three games. Uh, he said that on uh, that uh, that other uh, podcast, um, which Michael Vaughan's part of, with uh, Adam Gilchrist as well. Uh, Mark, Mark Waugh, never a man for, for doing much actual research. He, he turns up and makes some quite funny comments, but... His, his knowledge of the game actually kind of statistically is, is pretty poor, actually. Well, West Indies are going there uh, to Australia yes. uh, yeah. and they've just picked seven uncapped players. I mean, they've had a pretty unsuccessful time of it in Australia. I mean, they'll, they'll go back you know, way back when, when they had those great fast bowlers and they were fantastic series. You know, I think sort of late 80s, 90s, Curtly Ambrose roaring in, etc. Uh, but they've had a really thin time of it. I wish them all the best with that rookie squad, but I mean, that is going to be a really tough task and it's a sign of the time that you know, a couple of players like Mayers and Holder actually pulling out, not not being making themselves available to go on that tour because they want to play T Twenty franchise cricket because you know they will make more money doing so. It just shows, doesn't it, how times have changed. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but when I spent uh, some winters in New Zealand, one of the highlights of a I don't know Wednesday night after training was, or a Thursday night after training was to go down the local pub. And they had satellite coverage of Australia West Indies tests, or you know one day internationals. And the the Kiwis just loved seeing Australia trounce their local rivals trounce by this fantastic West Indies side. And it was in the early days really of of floodlit cricket and the the brilliance of that sort of eighties West Indies team, and and just seeing Australia kind of humbled again. And it, it, these pub these bars and pubs were packed with. Kiwis cheering the the West Indies on, and it doesn't happen now, does it? Obviously, and it's a shame. I mean, but it's sign of the times, isn't it? Really, I mean, West Indies just have no, they have no real interest in Test cricket. And in fact, it's been disappointing even watching the crowds for these One Day games as well. You know, big new stadiums in in the Caribbean, the Brian Lara Cricket Centre in Trinidad. But, you know, pretty. Thin crowd. Um, there was a crowd. Yeah, I mean, people have got better things to do. There was, but a it crowd, wasn't. But... It wasn't heaving, was it? I think that's 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 no. the point. Anyway, and a, and a West Indies team in T Twenty cricket, as I as I pointed out at the start of the podcast, you know, have had a pretty good year. You know, one in South Africa, beat India, really competitive against England, giving them a well, ultimately defeating them, and that's you know six months b- before a T Twenty World Cup in the in the Caribbean. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 such a far cry from the. Well, from the halcyon days, but they they don't look as though they're coming back. Although you know, West Indies do look strong. They do look like they might be a side that could have a you know an impact in their own T Twenty World Cup next summer. Yeah, and that would be a wonderful story for the Caribbean cricket, wouldn't it? If they could get to the final, say, of the World T Twenty and really kind of light up the game in the Caribbean. It's so difficult, isn't it? There are so many islands, and you know, they they don't always. See eye to eye, different islands, and rarely small, see eye to eye. <laughs> small populations as well is always difficult. Mm. Yeah. So, and you know, have they got the heroes to latch onto? Well, I think they have with Shea Hope. I think he's an outstanding. And actually, oh, it's nice to see Andre Russell back in the team as well. He's someone that can really 
illuminate the game, and he, he's so, such an engaging character as well. So, uh, I, I yeah, I mean, West Indies are on the right track, I think, with that World T Twenty uh, in in the on the horizon. Uh, one other thing we should just quickly mention: Sports Podcast Awards. Our sister podcast, Storylines, has been nominated twice for the Sports Podcast Awards, both as Best Cricket Show and also for Best Equality and Social Impact Podcast, which is brilliant. They only started in June, uh, Melissa Story and Nikki Chowdhury and Matt Griffiths producing, and they've now been nominated for those two Sports Podcast Awards. So they're in great company there, but not us. (laughs) We didn't enter, did we, Yoss? (laughs) We didn't enter. No, because you actually have to enter yourself. Um, and it's quite a sort of convoluted process, which I found quite tricky last year. So this year I didn't bother. <laughs> a bit like getting to a Lord's final on time. Yeah. But anyway, congrats to, to the girls because they've been doing great stuff. So check it out. Storylines, the women's cricket show. Uh, is uh, uh, Their episode the other day was hilarious, actually, when they got the news that be, they'd been nominated. It was very funny. So And, and great for them, actually. R- mm. A real um, feather in their caps. Not that they ever wear one. Yeah, well done to them. we got one more podcast to go before the end of the year. That's next week. So we're going to mi- wish you a Merry Christmas. Next week, we're going to look back on our highlights of the year. We are, yes. Uh, so I hope you'll look forward to that. And in the meantime... Enjoy your turkey or whatever else you're going to eat. I, I'm, I'm just going to eat chicken this year, actually. What about you? Of course, you vegetarian. can't eat either, can you? I can, Yoz. I just choose not to. Vegetarian net roast for me, all lined up already. It's in the freezer. Very good. Well, I love it. I love it. And <laughs> you'll, 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 you'll smile through the day, won't you? Of course. Yeah, it's my favourite day of the year. <laughs> Wonderful. You liar. Look, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week for our final podcast of the year. Yeah, me too. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Goodbye for now. Yes, Merry Christmas and thanks for listening and I'm off to practice my organ playing for tonight's street carol service. Have a good one. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.